right, you can be turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. After you find that, once you go over to Galatians chapter 5. You know, I just know if I set that there, that's going to come tumbling down. So, And then probably break the glass on the communion table. So instead of doing the dumb thing, I thought I'd be smart for a change. Now watch me trip over it, break my leg. (laughs) Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Now remember we started out with holiness, the basis for it. Then we looked at holiness, the overview of it. And uh, tonight we're going to look at holiness, the battle. And it is a battle. In Galatians 5 and verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the flesh and the spirit. They're contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There's a battle going on. Before he got saved, you didn't have this battle. Before he got saved, it was just the flesh. That was it. Sometimes you had a moral conscience for something better, but still it was just the flesh. But when you got saved, if you've been born again, you now have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. And now there is a battle. And you you begin to think, well, I didn't have these problems before I got saved. No, you had worse problems. You just didn't know it. But now, yes, there is a battle going on. You say, well, how long is this going to take till you die? Till you die. Now, the war's been won. But there is a daily battle. Paul describes it for us over in Romans chapter 7, if you turn over there. Notice beginning in verse 18, he says, For I know that in me. Now, this is Paul talking here. I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, we want to review a few things tonight that we've already covered, so we keep moving here in the same direction. Anybody missed any of it? I don't want you to just come into this without having the background for it. So we'll review a few things we've already covered. The Bible's teaching on holiness is not for our defeat. The Bible's teaching on holiness is primarily for God's glory and for our best. Sin is never good. It's never good for us. Sin 
is never right. God calls us unto holiness. Now, you remember, we gave a few of the problems, one of the reasons why we seem to have so much trouble with this concept. First of all, our attitude towards sin is usually self-centered and not God-centered. We are upset how the consequences of sin affect us, how the consequences of sin cause us to feel, instead of the reality that our sin is against God. That's what makes it so bad. It's not how bad does it make me feel, but the fact that I have sinned against God. We don't take that serious enough, which is the second point. We do not take sin seriously. You say, well, how is that manifested? We are more concerned with the size of the sin than we are the fact of sin. Doesn't make any difference what the size of sin is. Sin ought to bother us. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. And God describes for us in the scripture not only what is evil, but he even defines for us what sin is. By the way, he talks about it earlier in chapter 7. But the greatest definition in the New Testament is in one of the last books, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. When we start taking sin seriously and hate all of it, just like in the Garden of Eden, we discussed that. You look at the Garden of Eden. God said, don't eat. They didn't eat up the garden. They ate the one tree God told them not to eat. They didn't commit adultery. They didn't commit immorality. They didn't steal. There's a lot of things that they didn't do. But let me tell you what they did do. They disobeyed God, and all of us have to die because of that. That ought to give you an idea how God looks at sin. God hates sin. So it's the fact of sin that should be the main thing. Number three, God's holiness is the standard, not our culture, not our Christian culture, not our secular culture. The standard for holiness, right and wrong, is not determined by Hollywood, although they'd like it to be that way. Right and wrong is not determined in Washington, D.C. They get a lot of it wrong. We've been murdering babies for over 40 years in this country at the rate of a million a year. Been doing it legally in this country. And every one of them is a murder. It's wrong. Doesn't make any difference what the Supreme Court says. Doesn't make any difference what a poll may say. What you, you poll the American populace doesn't change what it is in reality. Number four, holiness is not an option for the believer. It's a requirement. We're called to it. And number five, we are made holy in our standing before God through Jesus Christ and his finished work at Calvary. We are called to be holy in our daily lives. We were made holy, separated totally unto God, in our standing before God. And thank God one day there's not going to be this battle. Thank God I'm getting a new body. And the main reason is not the fact that I'm fatter than I want to be now. It's not the fact that I've got too many aching joints. It has nothing to do with that. The reason I want the new body, I'll be more like him. I'll never disappoint him again, never let him down again. Last week, we saw two very basic truths. Number one, that we have a new king. 
Our new king is King Jesus. He wasn't that way before we got saved for us. We had somebody that we were serving other than him. Remember, Jesus even said of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. No wonder they wanted to put him to death. He was just telling them who their real father was, who their real leader was. That's why we got to get born again, because being born again into the flesh family doesn't take anybody to heaven. You got to be born into the spiritual family. And that means taking Christ as your savior. So two basic truths. We have a new king and we have a new kingdom with that new king. As we described last week, it's like concerning a warfare. One side wins. They now are the authority. They are the power in the country. That doesn't mean that the other side quits. They just have to go to a different tactic. You see, before I got saved, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, when he gives his testimony about the horrible things that he did before he got saved, he says, but I received forgiveness because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. But then he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, not of whom I was chief. Because you see, now that I'm saved, when I sin, I didn't have to sin. Devil didn't make me do it. Even the flesh couldn't make me do it. I've been set free from that. Sin should have no more dominion over us. That's what chapter 6 of the book of Romans is about. When we sin now, we sin on purpose. We are violating God's word and we know it. So tonight, we want to talk about this battle for holiness and how we can get help in the battle. And it begins with this matter of truth. I believe every meeting at church ought to be a truth encounter. We are lied to so much by the world in a lot of things. When it comes to religion, the world lies to us all the time. I mean, they'll say all kinds of strange things that are totally contrary to what the Word of God has to say. Kind of reminds me of that little boy who supposedly died and went up to heaven, came back and wrote a book, had a book written. I still think his last name is amazing. His last name is Malarkey, which is what the book was. So he gets to be 15 years of age and he tells everybody it was all fake. He didn't really do it. And yet all these Christians rush to the Christian bookstore to find out what this boy saw in heaven. You want to find out what heaven's like? Read your Bible. This is the one witness you know is true all the time in everything it says. It is a truth encounter. So when you come tonight, when we're dealing with this matter of holiness in our personal walk, we need to get in the scripture. What does the scripture say? Because that is the truth. I don't care what you feel. I don't care what you've experienced. I care what the word of God says. Because God is true. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What we do is we put an alphabet soup of numbers up, uh, letters up, to tell people what they've got, why they can't be what they're supposed to be. And that's a bunch of hogwash. ADD, ADHD, I have attention deficit disorder. Well, guess what? You've got flesh on you. Everybody's got some of that. Somebody brought me in a book on dyslexia. I thought this was interesting by a couple of doctors. And uh, man, 
I read through that book, and as I read through that book on dyslexia, I thought, I got dyslexia. Dyslexia is not just mixing up a couple letters. You understand that? As a matter of fact, if you looked at all the symptoms of dyslexia, everybody's got it. We can sell more books. I mean, if only half the people got it, you can only sell it to half the population. But if everybody's got it, uh, that explains what's wrong with me. By the way, let me help you parents. I'm going to get off the subject here for just a second. Let, Let me help you parents. You may find out your child has a learning disability. But I want you to understand this. A learning disability is not learning inability. It's funny. They can still learn how to, call, uh, to cuss. They can still learn how to write the dirty words. They can still learn how to steal. They can still learn how to lie. When you start excusing away the behavior of your child because they've got a disability, shame on you. You are condemning them to a life like that. By the way, if your child does have a learning disability, do not tell them. It's amazing how much they can learn. But once you tell them they do, that's their excuse then not to learn. If you've got a learning disability, it just means you have to work harder. That's all it means. And I've got all kinds of examples I could share with you, but... If I did that, we would never get through the message. We're talking about dealing with truth. First of all, the battle for holiness. Verse 17, the flesh lusteth against the spirit. This is in Galatians chapter 5. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. Now, that word lust simply means desire. It desires against, but it has a greater connotation than that in this verse because there's obviously a warfare. Notice, it lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh lusteth against the spirit. The flesh does not want to fall in line with the spirit. As a matter of fact, just a couple verses later, beginning in verse 19, he says the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, and all those things are part of the flesh. And I'm covered in it. Every part of me is covered in it. Some parody guy several years ago, Alan Sherman, wrote a book, uh, wrote a song about skin and Skin's the thing that if you got it outside, it helps to keep the inside in. I don't see the only line I remember of that whole song. But I thought, man, that's deep stuff right there, isn't it? But we all got it. And thank God we do or we'd just be a puddle on the floor. <laughs> Where is my mind tonight? Verse, <laughs> verse 23 of chapter 7 of the book of Romans. He says, but I see another law in my members warring, notice, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. There is a war going on. Now, we do have a battle described, a war described over in Galatians or Ephesians chapter 6, but that's even dealing with another matter. This is a lifelong battle. The personal walk of holiness is not a one-time forever victory. Now, Christ has secured for me, because the old man is crucified with him, that I am no longer under sin's dominion. The flesh can't make me do those things. It doesn't have that power. It can tempt me. It wants to tempt me. It is against the Spirit. That's one of the reasons you've got to be careful about doing what you feel. Matter of fact, I'll say more about that in just a moment. So it's a lifelong battle. In this passage, it says, I have the law of sin in my members, and I delight of the law, in the law of God in my mind. 
No wonder there's a warfare going on. Why do we feel pulled? People say, before I got saved, I didn't have this battle. Well, no, you didn't have the Spirit of God in you to fight the flesh. But since you got saved, the Spirit of God came in, took up residence in you, and now there's a battle. You do wrong. It ought to bother you. If it doesn't bother you, something's wrong with you. You didn't get something. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, he says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, as this passage says, I have the law of sin in my members, plus I delight in the law of God. 1 John 3, 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. The Spirit of God leads me to de- in a desire for holiness. So if I'm going to realize that I have this battle every day, it shouldn't surprise me when it comes. You know, hey, day comes up. Man, I really don't want to go to church today. Ah, but you know what? The flesh doesn't have the power to keep me home. I'm going to go ahead and go. Just decide you're going to go ahead and go. Ah, man, I just don't feel like praying this morning, but I can go ahead and pray. I don't have to not pray just because I don't feel like it. But that's the excuse a whole lot of people do for not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I don't feel like it. Well, baby, grow up. I mean... Or get saved, one of the two. So here's some truths about this battle. Uh, One, the seat of indwelling sin is the heart. Let's find out what Jesus had to say about it. Go over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, notice beginning in verse 21. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus is talking. The one who is the way, the truth, and the light. He says, for from without, or from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Now, who said that? And where do these things come from? Where does he say? The heart. Well, Jeremiah said in 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26, the Bible says, it is a fool that trusteth in his own heart. But what does Hollywood tell you? Oh, Father, your heart. Father, your heart. Do what your heart says. As long as you follow your heart, you'll be okay. It's not what the Bible says. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end are of the ways of death. The heart will deceive you. You better have something much better than just what your heart's telling you. You better have what God says in his word to lead you. Otherwise, you'll go badly astray. The heart gives you excuses for doing wrong. The heart will rationalize. That's exactly what happened in the garden. God had made it very plain. The day you eat, you die. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was God's word, plain to the point, clear. The devil says, you'll not surely die. Now, you would think, since God had said, if you you eat, you'll die, that when the devil contradicted God, Eve would immediately say, get out of here, Satan. I know who you are. You're a liar. But no, she takes Satan's word instead of God's word, And she decides to do her own study. She sees that the tree is pleasant to the eye. 
she sees that it's good for food, and somehow she comes to the conclusion that it's a food that'll make her wise. But God said, don't eat. Listen, I don't care if it had made her, well, she only could have been one of the first two smartest people in the world at that time. Not that many, but nevertheless, I don't care if it made her as smart as God. God said, don't do it, you die. Now, you're going to die because of what she did. I'm going to die. My kids are going to die. My grandchildren are going to die. Because what she did, she didn't take God at his word. Just like Christians don't take God at his word today about anything. Preacher gets up and preach against something that the book just very plainly says. Well, I just don't agree. Idiot. Read your Bible. Find out what it says. I mean, it's just, it's just plain. Yeah, you got to understand the culture of the day. That's stupid. There's no place in the Word of God where culture takes precedence over Scripture. No place. God destroyed whole civilizations because of their culture. We live in a culture that keeps murdering babies. Now, since the heart justifies sin and rationalizes sin, we have to be careful. You take a look at David. David makes a great statement in Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. He says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not greed with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. But that's not the end of the psalm. After talking about how much he hated the enemies of God, he says, Search me, O God. Try my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David had to admit that although he may hate the enemies of God, there were times he acted like an enemy of God. And he wanted God to point that out to him. When people start telling me how spiritual they are, I always have a red flag go up. Because the truth is, a person that's close to God isn't talking about how spiritual they are. They're talking about how merciful and gracious God is. I can't understand why God would ever save somebody like me, but I thank God that he did. So the primary means for searching our heart is the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Get this, piercing, even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirits and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I can get up and just speak whatever I have to say and speak against a lot of things. And, uh, you know, hey, it might hit some people, might not hit other people. Uh, but they can always say, well, that's Brother Allison. But the word of God goes deeper than that. It goes deep into the heart, the reaches that no man can see. When I went to the doctor about my knee the other day and he took an x-ray. And, I, well, they took several x-rays, actually, both my knees. And they both have the same problem. They both have a lot of a lot of arthritis underneath the kneecaps, okay? You live long enough, you're going to get something somewhere. It's just all there is to it. I mean, something's got to kill you eventually. That's part of the wages of sin. But I, to me, that's amazing. That camera was, you know, a little ways away from me, but it can see what I've never been able to see. It can see bones in there. It can see the arthritis in there. That's what the Word of God does. It goes deeper. But you know, there are some things that it couldn't see. It couldn't see the ligaments. 
I might have torn something when I had that problem. No, for that, I've got to have an MRI because that sees things that the x-ray doesn't see. Well, guess what? God sees everything. And he takes his word. And like a laser, man, he knows he takes it right to the heart of man. There are a lot of tremendous stories of people walking into a service and hearing one line of scripture and bringing them under such conviction that they fall down crying. And when they went to the meeting, they claimed not even to believe in God. God does that. He uses his word. Therefore, we should pray for God to reveal our hearts and expose our hearts to the word of God. That's why we come to church, to let the truth of the word of God do that work in our heart. Now, there's two dangers, by the way, with this. And the two dangers are these. One is morbid introspection. And I've known a bunch of people. I've never been accused of being a deep thinker, okay? I don't take it as an insult when somebody says I'm not a deep thinker. I know a lot of good Christian folks who are deep thinkers. But if you think too deep, you're going to get yourself into a depression. And a lot of Christians think themselves into depression. They start wondering about all... Listen, whatever the Word of God convicts you of, just get right. If He convicts you of something, you don't have to sit there and wonder. You remember, Job got pretty depressed. And of course, his friends were helping him along with that depression... Because they were falsely accusing him of things. And there's a couple places in the book of Job where Job confessed things he hadn't even done. That's what happens when you get so introspective that everything you think must be a sin about me. No, when God convicts you, get it right. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy laws. Listen, show me, Lord. Show me myself. Search me. And I'll get it right. But don't just sit there. Anybody here ever read the biography of David Brainerd? David Brainerd was a missionary back in the 1700s. He was the son-in-law to uh, the guy who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God who was who, Brother Nelson? Jonathan Edwards. Well... His father-in-law wrote the biography of uh, the guy I just said, David Brainerd. I got so depressed reading that book. This guy, he included so much of the stuff that Brainerd had put in his journal every day as he would read the scripture. He he would spend an entire morning, I'm talking about 6 o'clock in the morning till afternoon, just, just confessing anything. And feeling horrible and miserable about it. Now, all right, there may have been some problems in it, but you confess it, that's it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't just sit there and keep beating yourself up over things that God's already forgiven. But David Brainerd, who was a great missionary, died at the age of 29, by the way. And that's probably the reason. That's a miserable way to live. God doesn't intend us to live like that. Now, he wants us to be right about sin. But, man, it's not like taking, you know, a cat of nine tails and just spending every day trying to get the wickedness out of us. I got the flesh. I'm not to cut it up and tear it off. Confess the sin. Get it right. God takes care of it. Amen. Morbid introspection. That brings a lot of people to discouragement. Remember, Satan is the one who is the accuser of the brethren. And then missing the real issues. All right, I said this. Why did I say that, though? 
Yeah, I said that. Probably shouldn't have said that. Why did I say it? I'll confess why I said it, because that's what I need to get right about. Get my heart right. That'll take care of the actions. Deal with the heart. Get it done. Now, that's the danger. So the seed of indwelling sin is the heart. Indwelling sin works largely through our desires. James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. And the Bible says, yet without sin. The temptation is not the sin. Now, because of our desires, and the word lust here, again, is simply the word desires. And the world will tempt us with desires, put them out there, all right, I'm tempted. How do I respond to the temptation? But it says, and lust, when it is finished, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It is the sin that brings forth the death, not the temptation. A lot of times people get that all mixed up. They've got it wrong and they're... But understand this about this temptation. Hollywood understands it very well. Madison Avenue with their uh, advertising billions and billions of dollars, they understand their whole purpose is to get you to want something, to want it enough to buy it, whether you need it or not. It's not whether you need it that matters. It's the fact that you want it, you'll go out and get it. And because there's a shortage coming up, you'll go out and get two or three. That's why some people, when COVID first hit, went and bought grocery stores out of all the toilet paper. And they still haven't used up all that they bought. Just tempted. You need toilet paper. Well, now, the reality is you can live without it. I don't want to either, by the way, but you can't live without it. People did a long time ago. Just thought I'd help you with that. Next time you face temptation, pay attention to the struggle between your reasoning and your desire. Well, I really want that. Well, I really want that. Think about it. Why do you want it so bad? Is it that you need it, you have to have it, or you just have to have it because you really want it? When it comes to sin, it's the same way, all right? Just say no. Just say no. Uh, we brought up our kids in our house about going to church. We all just always went to church. Neither one of my children ever came to me and said, Mom and Dad, are we going to church today? They never even asked. Why? It was a given. We were going to be there, Period. Matter of fact, they'd have probably been disciplined had they asked the question. And they probably thought that too. I don't know. But you start giving people an out, yeah, they're not going to come. Sure. Easier to stay home. So the next time you face that temptation, remember Colossians 3.2. Set your affections on things above not on things in the earth. The third thing about this, you got the seed of indwelling sin is the heart. Indwelling sin works largely through your desires. And indwelling sin tends to deceive our understanding or reasoning. And this usually is carried on by degrees. First, we get drawn away from watchfulness by overconfidence. Over in 1 Corinthians, I want you to look at it. You've heard it many times. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
and verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. He says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, what does he say? Take heed, lest he fall. Take heed. Oh, I'd never do that, preacher. You better take heed because you can fall. There's a reason he gives the warning in Galatians 6.1. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know, there's a whole lot of preachers that have been in this world that have preached hard against adultery and fornication and that kind of stuff, only end up committing it themselves. And at one time, they thought they never would or could. But you have to understand, those are two things that are part of the works of the flesh. And we all got that flesh on us. So we have to remember to say no. And then we get drawn from obedience by an abuse of grace. In Jude 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And it's amazing how some of these jokers can explain away the clear word of God by simply saying, but we're under grace today. But grace is never an excuse for sin. It is always a reason that we shouldn't. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And God's answer is what? God forbid. We are a different people. This is a lifelong battle. And so the Bible tells us that we're to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we have won the war And he gives us help for the battle. And the help for the daily battle, and with this we'll end up closing, but that doesn't mean we're getting out in the next five minutes. Some might ask, what what good does it do to be told that the war with sin has been won by Christ in his death on the cross if I'm still harassed and often defeated by sin in my heart? Well, help begins when, number one, we accept the fact, this is truth, that God, in his infinite wisdom, has seemed fit to allow this daily battle with indwelling sin. You understand that? All right, we had sinned. God, in his plan of salvation, provided salvation for us. And so we can go through life and have many victories by walking in obedience to God's word. The flesh doesn't have to control us. That means we're going to have to be getting close to him. Now, God set it up that way. You know, when I have my perfect body, I'll never do wrong. That's coming. Right now is my opportunity to show a lost world out there that when God saves a person, he can change them completely and get them victory over all kinds of things in their life. We get an opportunity to serve God like that. Job already did. You remember when Satan came to accuse the people of God. God said, hast thou considered my servant Job? He said, Job's a good man. He skewed evil. Here's a man who did right. Calls him a perfect man. And it was that man that he used as an example to show that, hey, when you're one of God's people, you can be different than other people. That's the truth. So, okay, man, let's do it then. 
Let's show what he has done in us. We are not only dead to sin, but according to Romans 6, 11, we are alive unto God. He's not left us in a state of neutrality. He delivers us from sin's reign into the reign of his son. So what does it mean then to be alive unto God? I'll give you three things and we'll be done. We are united with Christ in all of his power. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He has all power, and that one who is all powerful lives in me. You look at the Apostle Paul. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This powerfully good stuff. This will help you now. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, he says, Not that I speak with respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Hey, believers, our Christian life is one of continual learning. If you're not learning anything, man, you are stagnant and backslidden. I have learned in whatsoever... It wasn't always that way. Hopefully, you don't act the same way now that you did when you got saved. If you're still acting the same way, there's a problem there somewhere. But he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. Why? All power is given unto him. He is in me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Unlike some of those false translations, I can do all things. No, no, through Christ. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing in John chapter 15 and verse 5. Bible tells us this, we need his help and we have his help. Colossians 1.11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering and joyfulness. In Ephesians 1.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. I am responsible to obey. He says those truths, that it no longer has dominion over me. I am to reckon that to be so. God said it, it's so. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's really simple. If God said it, it's just so. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. Man, so I don't, I don't need the pundits or the theologians to write a thousand books on one verse to tell me it doesn't mean what it says. No, it means what it says, and it's so. The just shall live by faith. I believe God. Who are you going to believe, God or man? Let God be true and every man a liar, the Scripture says. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Not only that, he has given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And the Holy Spirit is connected here to a holy life. As a matter of fact, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He talks about uh, containing our vessel, our body, to keep it from sexual sin. And notice how the Holy Spirit is mentioned as he deals with this. Notice in verse 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, 
who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. The connection of the Holy Spirit with the holy life is found in other places as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he's dealing, after he says, flee fornication, he says, what? Know ye not that your body's the temple of who? Of the Holy Spirit. He said, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is now, uh, his temple is right here in me and right there in you if you're saved. That's why we flee fornication. That's why we have nothing to do with it. That's why we stay away from it. In Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9, same thing. Colossians chapter 5 and verse 16, or Galatians 5, 16. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, really, that doesn't sound hard. It's a simple sentence. Simple subject and verse. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But what if you're not walking in the Spirit? Well, then guess what you're going to be doing? Fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And that's the problem. Well, sounds like I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit every day. Now you're getting it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I die daily. As long as I'm in this body right here, it's got to be that way. You see, this work... It, the Holy Spirit enables us to see our need for holiness and causes us to become aware of the specific areas of sin, some of the work of the Holy Spirit. It causes us to desire holiness. When, when Isaiah got that vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so God has an angel take a coal and put it on his lips. That's cleansing. That's burning. And then God says, who shall I send and who will go for us? What's Isaiah's words? Here am I, send me. Amazing what happens when you get clean. Now you want to serve. That doesn't necessarily mean on a foreign land. It might, though. It might just be a servant in the church, helping others, being a blessing, taking part. All of that. So our responsibility, he has given us these things. Our responsibility, a humble and consistent intake of Scripture, being teachable. The Bible says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You just break down the verse. It's just very plain, and it means exactly what it says. The only time the word success is used in the entire Bible is that verse, Joshua 1.8, and it has to do with how we treat the Word of God, what we do with it. You see, this is that daily walk with God, obedience to that Scripture then that you read, and pray for holiness in your walk. I'll give you a couple examples, and then we're done. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end, now get this, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly 
And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you remember, of course, Jabez's prayer, where after praying for an enlargement of his coast, he asked to be also kept from sin. He said that it not grieve me. Yeah, pray for God, not only not to lead us into temptation, but to spot it, to understand it, and to get away from it. Robert Murray McShane, the great preacher back in the 1800s, he was famous for a prayer that was his heart's desire. He said, Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a sinner saved by grace to be. Would to God that was the desire of our heart, to be as holy in our walk as is possible for a sinner saved by grace to be. It's a battle. It'll be a daily battle. The flesh has lost the war. It's been crucified with Christ. I know that. And uh, it's going off into the grave. I'm getting a new body. That's coming. And in the meanwhile, I best glorified my Savior by the power now he's given me to make the decisions that please him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, dear God, for these marvelous truths. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would allow, that you would help us to allow the word of God to have its sway in our heart. And God, encourage us, I pray, to walk in the Spirit, to want to walk in the Spirit, to want to please you every day. May that even be part of the prayer of our lips every morning. Oh, God, please, I want to please you today. Help me to walk that way throughout the day. God, you have your way in our lives, and Father, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name.